we are to believe that we are not alone, even if we feel alone. The value system of the Bible is believe God's word versus your own feelings. Time and time again, the Bible tells us to walk in countercultural ways. And we're going to see another one of those here in Philippians chapter 2, where the Lord tells us that it is better to be a servant than it is to be a master. That it's better to lay down our life than to keep our life. So can we pray as we open up God's word this morning and really embrace this upside down kingdom that the Lord calls us to? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the amazing truths of your word. And that you are a God who has spoken and can be known. And I pray this morning that we would hear from our good shepherd. Lord, let let my words be a reflection of your words to your people today. Hide me behind the cross of Christ. Exalt the name that is above every name. And cause us to freshly see your goodness and grace. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In the book of Acts, Jesus is famously quoted as saying, it is better to give than to what? Receive. Uh, And Trish and I, as we raised our kids, we tried to instill that in them all the time. Some of you guys know our kids are getting a little bigger now, and we have one who is 19, Ian, and one who is 17, Calvin. But when Ian and Calvin, I know, you're surprised, they're pastor's kids, they're perfect. When they were little, um, you know, just every now and again, they would fight. Just, I mean, like once or twice in their life, really, yeah. Uh, And one particular day, they were having a tussle over a toy. You know, Ian wanted the toy and Calvin wanted the toy and they're going back and forth, going back and forth. And so I step in and like I had said 10,000 times before, I'm like, boys, 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 boys. Hey, what is better? Is it better to serve or to be served? And the kids kind of, both of them look at me and, you know, kind of reluctantly say, it is better to be served, dad. Okay, that's right. That's right. Very good, boys. Now, guys, What do you think you should do in this situation then? Dead silence. No idea. No idea what they should do. Okay, Ian wants the ball. Calvin wants the ball. What should you guys do? And finally, after a long pause, finally Calvin looks up and very, you know, seemingly with a very contrite heart, he says, Dad, okay. I'll let Ian serve me. (laughs) Still practicing that today. He's really good at that. Yeah, I'm glad that really, that message took deep root in our heart. Well, here's the idea. The Bible consistently, Jesus consistently taught that in spite of how we feel about it, serving is actually better. This was the consistent message of the Savior. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 26. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your, what's it say? Servant. Okay, look up at the screen again. You're like, I don't know if that's like, it didn't come up quite fast enough or you're just reluctant to say that. I'm not sure if we have deep unbelief this morning. Must be your? Very good. The greatest among you, Matthew chapter 23, must also be your? 
servant who, I'm sorry, okay, did I say the wrong reference? I just skipped to the next verse. Sorry, that's on me. Matthew 23, verse 11, look at the screen. There it is, okay, all right. The greatest among you must be your Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, the consistent message of the Savior is simply this. In the Christian life, the way up is down. If you are to follow Jesus, the way up is down. Greatness in God's eyes is not found in building a powerful reputation. It's not found in having a secure financial portfolio. It's not even found in following and achieving your dreams. True greatness in God's eyes lies in serving. And this is a mantle that no one embraced like Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse number 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So even the Son of Man, the King of kings, the Lord and Lord, the rightful ruler of the universe, the sustainer and creator of all things says, even for the Son of Man, it is better to serve than to be served. And then we see this in our passage in Philippians chapter two, back up to the beginning of the chapter to set a little bit of context here. Philippians chapter two, verse number five, Paul says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, what did he do? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a what? Servant. Jesus himself served. Now you might hear that and say, okay, Ryan, I'm with you. I'm with you. I hear that Jesus consistently taught to serve and that Jesus embodied servanthood, but after all, he's Jesus. Of course, Jesus is going to do the right and godly thing. What about the regular folks like us who aren't Jesus? You know, normal men and women who aren't God. Like, what are we supposed to do? Are, are we really supposed to follow that way? And can we? This is why Philippians chapter 2 is so terribly helpful for us. Because back in the beginning of the chapter, 2, at the beginning of the chapter, it unpacks how Jesus served. Then you get to verse number 19 and following. And we are given two real and breathing examples of people who followed in the steps of Jesus. And their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. So who are these two guys? Well, Timothy, you might have heard of, if you've read the Bible some, you might know that Timothy was kind of the Apostle Paul's ministry protege. Paul personally invested in Timothy. He called him his son in the faith. He spent a lot of time with Timothy, took him on ministry journeys. Timothy had a godly mother and a godly grandmother, and they poured into them, and then he was invested in by the Apostle Paul and sent out to be a ministry leader. You know, if you were to draw an equivalent of Timothy here at Gospel Hope, that would be Pastor Manuel. Many of you got to know Pastor Manuel, who was brought here, trained, invested, and sent out by us as a person that we said, this person is a spiritual leader, and we're going to send them out to lead a ministry somewhere else. So that's kind of the Timothy perspective. So who's Epaphroditus? Well, his name is not quite as familiar, and maybe you haven't heard that name before. So do we know anything about this guy? Not much. 
what we really know is what Pastor Rod would call is Epaphroditus was probably an SIB. What's that stand for? A standard issue believer. Just regular, regular believer. He, he was not some sort of spiritual superstar. He seems to be just a member of the Philippian church. He's a Philippian and there was a ministry need. He needed to deliver a care package to the apostle Paul. And they're like, hey, who can take this? And Epaphroditus is like, I'll go. So off he goes to send. And so he is not some sort of leadership role or anything unique about Epaphroditus. He is like many of us, a average believer. So who's the equivalent in gospel hope? Let's look around. Who is our most average Christian here? Let's, maybe I wouldn't say, but Caleb, it's very average brother, right? <laughs> you get the point. So Timothy is kind of on this end of the spectrum. He's a ministry leader specifically invested in by the apostle Paul. And then there's Epaphroditus, a good guy, but he's just kind of normal. And we do know a little bit more about Epaphroditus, in fact, because we know his name. The name Epaphroditus actually means belonging to Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the Greek god primarily of sexual love. And so it is most likely that Epaphroditus was not, he didn't have some sort of spiritual pedigree. He was probably raised by idol-worshiping parents. And yet you get down to the end of this passage and what happens? Paul commends Epaphroditus and he says, honor this person. Well, why is this so important? I think Paul is intentional in this juxtaposition of these two people to remind us of a very important principle. It's this, no believer is above and no believer is below serving Christ. It doesn't matter your background or your history or your story or your failure or your home life. It doesn't matter. Nothing qualifies you or disqualifies you from being invited by God into his mission. No one's overqualified. No one's underqualified. If you've trusted in the work of Christ, Jesus says, come on, get on the team. This is good news because it means no matter what your story is, the Lord, even today, today, right now is saying, get involved in serving. You can be a servant. You can take up the mantle of greatness in your life. And it's not by playing a PlayStation game. You true greatness really does await, but it awaits all those who will like the savior follow in his steps. So here's my point this morning, very simply, we must all embrace the mantle of servanthood. Now, in my uh, bachelor's degree, I went to a Bible college, and they had a very unusual tradition there. So when you would graduate from our college, you would go up on the stage, and like in many things, you would walk across, and everybody's got the regalia on, and you'd shake hands, and somebody would hand you the diploma, right? But at this particular school, they added something onto the diploma. So you'd shake hands, you'd get the diploma, and then you'd get over to this portion of the stage, and somebody would hand you, you guessed it, a towel, was it because it was particularly like sweaty in there or anything? They just handed you this towel. And on that towel, it said these short words, be great, serve. And that was such a helpful reminder in my mind that when we enter into the ministry, when we begin to follow Jesus on what he's calling us to do, that we are never more like the Savior when we take up the towel. John chapter 13, verses three through five. Jesus knew that the father had given everything into his hands 
and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So Jesus is embracing his full identity here as the very son of God. He knows who he is. And what does he do? So he got up from supper and he took a towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet. In one sense, brothers and sisters, we are never more like the Savior than when we serve. We are never more like Jesus than when we take up the towel and begin to wash other people's feet. So what does that look like in your life, in my life, to have the heart of a servant? What is the character of someone that has embraced the servanthood of Christ? In the next few minutes, I want to try to explore this together by looking at the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I want to give you four character traits of a true servant of Christ. The first one is this. I would say a, care, a servant is selfless. Notice how Paul describes Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 19. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you as soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded, look at this, who will genuinely care about your interest. All seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Paul longed, not just for anybody, Paul longed for Timothy because Timothy had a unique trait, namely, while others were focused on their own interest, Timothy was focused on the interest of others and of Christ. That was the focus, the preoccupation of Timothy's life. The principle seems to be true servants are true occupied with building Christ's kingdom to build their own. They're just too busy. I don't got time to build my own empire. I don't got time to focus on my own name. All I'm focused on is building the name and the reputation of the name that is above every name. Don't fool around with being selfish. That's just too small of a goal. And what a needed reminder today in the atmosphere of narcissism that we breathe. Social media tells us your image, your image is what really matters. So curate that thing really carefully. Because it's about you. Our ubiquitous access to technology tells us you deserve to be entertained when? All the time, on demand, what you want, when you want it. It is about you. TV and movies, every single one of them, tell us significance and meaning. Well, that's really found when you follow your dreams, regardless of what it costs other people or hurts other people. You must make you the center of the universe. And sadly, often many of us like narcissists of old cannot be bothered with the concerns of others because we are too busy gazing at our own reflection. Only we've upgraded over a pool and we do it here in the selfie generation. Look how beautiful I am. I'm not against taking selfies. I'm not against any of those things. But the Lord is against selfishness. And we need to root that out of our hearts if we are to be true servants of Jesus. The frank truth of the matter is we are often too preoccupied with ourselves to be concerned with anyone else. And what Paul says about Timothy is the absolute opposite. He's like, look, everybody seeks their own interests, but not Timothy. Timothy is concerned about other people. I think 
that the Bible says things like this to shock us. Verse number three of Philippians chapter two. Do, what's that second word? What's it say? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Why? Because everyone should look not on his own interest, but rather on the interest of others. I think Paul regarded Timothy so highly because Timothy regarded Jesus so highly. I think Paul had a high opinion of Timothy because Timothy had a high opinion of Christ. And don't you want that to be true of you? I want that to be true of me. The other people are like, man, I don't know about Ryan, but he thinks a lot of Jesus. And so I think I think a lot about him. Several years ago, I saw this logo and uh, my brain is not very smart or it's old. And uh, it's this right here. You guys seen this? You guys are, yeah, we all know that, yeah. It's like the old Jesus thing back in the 70s. You know what I'm talking about, that one? Yeah, okay, you old heads do. So I looked at this for a long time and I'm like, man, I don't, what, heek, heek, uh, heck. Is this a foreign language? I don't know. But it's actually a mathematical equation. And I think it's brilliant. Because it says he is greater than lowercase i. I want that to be the message of my life. I probably won't put this on my shirt because people will be saying heek, heek all the time. But you, I want my life to scream that he, capital H-E, is greater than I. I want the, my tombstone to say what John the Baptist said. He must increase and I must decrease. There's only one kingdom that's forever, and it's not yours. It is the kingdom of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is worthy to open the scrolls and to him has purchased a kingdom forevermore. Him is the kingdom that matters. So let our lives be oriented around giving ourselves away for him. My desire is that this idea, he must increase, but I must decrease, would be an expression of my life and the lives of all of us at Gospel Hope Church. May it be true that really our lives could be summarized in the statement, he is greater than I. Number two. Not only is a true servant selfless, but a true servant is steady. Can you say that word with me? Steady. Look at verse number 22. But you know his proven character. Paul commended Timothy to the Philippians because he was a tested and substantiated commodity. That is, he consistently did the right thing things. This is an important reminder because there is often a temptation when stepping into some sort of ministry or service opportunity to be waiting for the one shining moment. You know what I'm talking about? We want to do something so significant, so purely awesome that everybody is blown away by this one act. 
We want to teach a children's lesson and revival break out among the hardened third through fifth graders. Let it be so, Lord, because that class is tough. We want to sing or play on the worship team and have the whole congregation just melted into tears. We want to greet a guest with such warmth, such friendliness, that they immediately begin to share their deepest, darkest secrets and become our best friend forever. We want to show kindness to our neighbor. We want to like pick up their newspaper. Does anybody get newspapers anymore? We want to pick up their mail and put it up on their porch for them and have them come to their, our door and fall down and say, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> These are great desires. Don't hold your breath. Because that's not usually how service works. You know how service works? You grind and you grind and you grind and you grind. Why do we believe that about every area except for serving Jesus? Why do we understand hustle? Why do we understand grit in the workplace, in our personal aspirations, but we don't understand it in the greatest cause in the world? I need some gritty believers up in gospel hope. I do need some humble and hungry believers up in gospel hope who will just grind and grind and grind and grind and do the right things over and over again. Not the awesome things, not the perfect things, not the best things, just the right things. I believe based on this passage and many other that God values the steady more than the spectacular. Time and time again, the Lord does not ask us to be awesome. There is no passage in scripture, as far as I'm concerned, where it says you must be awesome. Look it up in the concordance, it's not there. But there are lots of passages that calls us to be steady. It is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. It's coming. It's not coming. Matthew 25, verse number 23. Oh, there it is. Faithful. Matthew 25, verse number 23. You're prepped now. Well done, good and Okay, it's coming. Warrant. There. Nope. Wrong way. Okay, never mind. Okay, well done, good and service. Look, you're smarter than you look. Yep. You have to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were, guess what? You were over a few things, and I put you in charge of many things. So here's my encouragement. Ready? Show up. Just show up. You don't have to be your best self. You may come dragging in there. Show up. 90% of ministry is showing up. The Lord does not expect you to hit a home run every time you step up to the plate. But listen, church, the Lord expects you to take your at-bats. You will never hit a home run if you take no swings. So what are we waiting for? Just be faithful, 
Be steady. Take some good cuts and see what the Lord does with that. There is a great example of consistent, small obedience that I love. In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory space probe called Pioneer 10. The satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planets and its moons, and beam data directly back to Earth. This was an unbelievably bold plan. Because up to this point in human history, there hadn't been like photos or anything of Jupiter taken. They knew little to nothing about the planet. So they launched the satellite. But by November of 1973, Pioneer 10 had not only passed Jupiter, but Saturn and traveled a mind-boggling one million miles away from the sun. But the satellite was far from done. In short order, it traveled two billion miles past Uranus, then three billion miles past Neptune, then four billion miles past Pluto and the edge of the solar system. And it was not until 2003, over 30 years after it had been launched, that the last signal was received from Pioneer 10 at a breathtaking 7.6 billion miles from the sun. And here's the thing. Pioneer 10 was equipped with only a tiny eight watt transmitter radio that sent all the data back to earth. We're all wearing stuff more powerful than that on our wrist or in our pockets. So the simple steadiness, by simple consistency, the little satellite that could accomplished more than anyone thought was possible. Listen, church, let's be a bunch of Pioneer 10s. You may got eight watts, but if you just keep going in the right direction, you can do far more than you can imagine. Because our God values steadiness to the mission that we have been called. Or let me say it this way. Let's go far, not necessarily fast. Just keep steady. Keep steady. Have proven character. Keep steady. The Christian life is a grind. So let's grind. So we saw in the passage last night, work last week, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And when you do that, guess what? For it is God that works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. There is power available for you to do what God has called you to do. Number three, not only is a true servant steady and selfless, but they are also shapeable. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, look at verse 23, if you will. But you know his proven character. This is Paul speaking about Timothy. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. See that imagery that he uses there? So Timothy served with Paul like a son with a father. In the ancient world, sons almost always took the trade of their father. And from a very young age, they were apprenticed to learn the skills necessary to step into that field. In one sense, Paul is essentially saying, look, Timothy is teachable. He's teachable. He is saying, Timothy now accurately represents me because he took the time to serve alongside of me and he has been discipled by me. Timothy has been shaped by me, so trust him. Again, this is a needed reminder. It seems that sometimes we can approach God with this posture. Lord, here's what I'm going to do for you. And then we have this grandiose goal spelled out. 
Look, there is nothing wrong with having big dreams and visions about what you want to do for God. There's nothing sinful about that. But here's what I want us to remember. Before you get to point Z, you have to go through point A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and so on and so forth to get there. And Paul is basically saying of Timothy, look, he's done the work. He's put in the time. And as I built into Timothy, he was shaped by gospel ministry. And so now you can trust him. Friends, we have to allow the people in our lives and the circumstances that God brings along to shape us so that we can achieve the things that maybe we want to achieve for the Lord. And we also have to allow the Lord to pivot us along the way. Um, Occasionally, not very often, but people will come up to me and say, Ryan, that was a good sermon. It's a rare thing. Um, And then they'll say something like, how long did that take you to prepare? Now, in one sense, I know what they're asking. They're saying, like, how many hours were you studying or writing? Like, how long did that take? They're looking for an hour figure. But in another sense, I really can't answer that question. Like, how long did this sermon for this morning take me to prepare? Well, about 45 years. Because in order to get to this point right now, I had to go through all of those other points. I had to be shaped by people in my life and to be shaped by circumstances and to be shaped by the word so that I could be what God wants me to be today. Don't forget the process, folks, that if we are to be true servants of the Lord, don't just think, well, got it all together. I'm going to get it done. No, we need to be shaped and changing. God invites you to serve. Listen, Because he doesn't just want to do something through you. He wants to do something in you. I could even say he wants to do something to you. So often we're thinking about the ministry. How God is shaping the ministry. But the reality is often God is more concerned about shaping the man or the woman. He is giving us opportunities in order to change us. That's why we say at Gospel Hope all the time. I thought Rashad was going to preach my sermon earlier. You watch yourself, brother. Where you at? Over there? I lost him. Yeah. We don't use people to get ministry done. We use ministry to get people done. Why do we unapologetically say go serve in kids? Because we think God wants to do something in you. Friends, God don't need you. He doesn't need any of us. He is the hardest person to shop for at Christmas. God has never needed anything. And yet he invites us to serve him. Why? Because it's like, oh, poor God. No. It's because it's like, oh, generous God who wants to change and shape us by calling us sometimes to even operate above our pay grade. To call us into opportunities that are stretching, that are uncomfortable. God calls us to serve because he wants to do something in us. Look, those who serve both give, yes, you do, and you gain. You give and you gain when you roll up your sleeves and get involved in what Christ is doing in the world. Finally, number four, characteristic of a true servant is that they are sacrificial. Though we can see these first three characteristics of servanthood in the brief story that we have about Epaphroditus, what he most clearly embodies is a servant's commitment to sacrifice. 
As I said, Epaphroditus was a Philippian believer who was charged with sending relief to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. In the first century world, if you were in prison, the only way that you got taken care of is if your family and friends brought you stuff. So this was an important mission that the Epaphroditus had to go on. He was basically making sure that the Apostle Paul stayed alive. He had food and clothes and the supplies that he needed. So, but the, th- the thing is, the journey from Philippi to Rome, that was not an easy trek. It's roughly 800 miles. No cars, no public transportation. At the very minimum, it would have taken Epaphroditus six weeks to get to Rome to Philippi, on foot, overland. During this long trek, maybe unsurprisingly, Epaphroditus became ill. So much so that Paul tells us that he nearly died. But God in his mercy spared him. And at the end of the time of our passage, Epaphroditus was getting better. And he's brokenhearted over the Philippian believers because they're like, Paul, they don't know how you're doing. I got to get back. I got I to send word that you're okay so that they'll be okay. And how does Paul feel about this guy who nearly died and is ready to go and take the journey again? Now, our modern sensibilities would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill. Paphroditus, you're doing too much. But that's not what Paul said. Look at what it said. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor. Why? Because he came close to death for the work of Christ. That's a dagger to me. I have never been close to death for the work of Christ. Not once. Risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry. The simple point is this, and maybe this is the reason. The simple idea is this. Serving requires sacrifice. I know that might might be super obvious, but I feel like I need to say it. Serving requires sacrifice. When you serve, violin music won't necessarily begin to play. Sometimes we think that should be the case. We need to disabuse ourselves of this notion. Ready? Ungodly and hard are the same thing. Just because something is hard or difficult or challenging does not mean it's ungodly. Sometimes the most godly things are the hardest things. We need to recognize that serving requires sacrifice and being honored by the Lord sometimes require that we almost die. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is calling you to go put your literal life on the line, but I am suggesting that we lay down our lives on a daily basis. That when we serve others, when we serve our spouse, our family, our children, our parents, 
our coworkers, our friends, in our church, in our neighborhoods, that we need a lot of dying. Because serving requires sacrifice. Look, very few things of eternal value were fashioned on the road of least resistance. Very few things of eternal value were fashioned on the path of least resistance. To be sure, setting aside your comfort and your convenience and your preference and your time and your preference and your preference for the good of others and the glory of God is work. It's not easy. But at the very same time, According to this passage and the whole of the Bible, it is worthwhile. If I could say it this way, service is a worthwhile work. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. And I would argue if it's always easy, it's maybe not service. If there's no element of sacrifice in, is it really service? Or is there something else going on there? We need to be called to do things that are hard because God wants to do something in us, not just through us. So you might hear all this and say, Ryan, okay, I'm with you. Yes, of course, I want to serve. But I mean, that verse, ouch, consider others better than yourself. That's not super easy. Is it even possible? Like to really be selfless? I mean, I love me some me. And I bet you love you some you. And, and I bet you also wish like me that you love me some me and other people love you some you too. We not only want our selfish ourselves, but we want other people to get involved on that agenda. Get on board with me right here. I'm the center of the universe. And really, I would like it if you would recognize that as well. We need help. Where's that help coming from? Well, it's not coming from just try harder. We need someone to rescue us. And praise the Lord, his name is Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God and did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Or as 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 says it this way, we love because he first loved us. Now let me unpack that just a bit. The Bible says that we are able to love others because Christ took the initiative and loved us first. In other words, we have been empowered to love others because Christ loved us. We can love out of security, not out of insecurity. I don't think it would be untrue to the text to make this subtle adjustment and paraphrase. We serve because he first served us. You have been enabled to serve others because Christ came and said, my people are in bad shape. I've called them to serve, but without my help, they can't do it. They got this heart in them and it's made of stone. 
and it's oriented around their own desires and their own wants. And it's not thinking about other people at all. So there's only one solution. I got to go to the cross and live the life they should have lived and die the death they should have died and raise victoriously on their behalf and give them my heart. So what Jesus did when you trust in the work of his accomplishment, he rips out that stony, self-oriented heart and he replaces it with a fleshy heart that is just like his heart, others-oriented. If I could say it very, very simply, folks, it is this. We can serve because we've been served. Look, you have the power. Take it up. Believe the gospel. Christ didn't just come to give you a ticket out of hell card. He did that. But he didn't just come to do something for you. He came to do something to you, to transform you. Not just change your destiny, change your character. Live out of that reality. You are not who you once were. We don't have to be selfish. We can be selfless because the selfless one took our place on the cross for all of our selfishness. Oh, there is hope in the gospel that we can embrace the servant's heart. And it's not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not by some program, but it's by turning and looking on the one who clothed himself in a towel so that we could take up his garment with him. Church, let's serve. Let's give ourselves like these men in this passage and above all, like our Savior. I want to do two things as we conclude here, very simply, kind of some calls to actions. The first thing I want to say is maybe you're listening and you're saying, Ryan, I do want to serve, but I am challenged right now by God's word. There's a lot of selfishness in my heart. I'm not very selfless. I'm not very steady. I'm not very sacrificial. And I need to be transformed by the Lord. Would you maybe talk to the Lord right there, right now about that? I'm going to ask our prayer team if they could go around. They'll be standing by. And I want to give you an opportunity in just a moment if you would like someone to pray with you. To share with them. They would be happy to pray with you. You can pray right there in your seats. But these folks would love to pray with you and ask you to develop, help to develop the heart of the Savior. The second thing I would say is this. Don't just pray, but participate. The Lord's pricking you about something. We want to give you a very practical action item. You saw that QR code? We're going to put it right back up here. And this is not because God needs you, but it's because you need God. And so get involved in some way. We want to give you a next spiritual step that's very clear. Say, Ryan, I don't know how I need to serve. That's fine. Just get registered. Somebody will talk to you. But be obedient right now in the moment. If the Lord is calling you in some way to get busy, let's get busy. And let's let the Lord guide and direct that. So two things, pray and participate. I'm going to pray for us briefly. And then you spend time, you, you move as you feel fit. Either move to the prayer team that's available or pray right there with somebody in your seat uh, or get that, get your QR code scanned. I know that sounds very spiritual, but we're trying to be as uh, technologically savvy as we can. So I'm going to pray. All right. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thank you that he served us. I pray that we would respond to him, that we would follow in his footsteps and have a servant's heart. Lord, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's move.